right, everyone. Hello again. This is episode seven. Uh, Mike Fosha and Brian Weed here. Hello. And the chapter is chapter five. And the chapter in our Calvary Distinctives kind of 2.0 here is entitled Grace Upon Grace. And Chuck's summary we're going to take from page 50 says this, I love to take, develop, remold, and rebuild lives that were a real wreck. Look at most of the Calvary Chapel ministers. Their lives were a real wreck. But look at how God has restored. Look at the wealth and the value that have come out of these lives. It's a beautiful work of God today to see what the world has cast off and viewed as hopeless wrecks be transformed in the glorious vessels of honor. We believe that having been forgiven, we need to be forgiving. Having received mercy, we must show mercy. And having received grace, we must be graceful. Showing the uh, showing the extending God's or showing and extending God's grace is an important part of the Calvary Chapel ministry. So, uh, in terms of a biblical basis for grace, which is pretty easy to find, um, I'll just say. Starting with Christ, John 1, 16 through 17 says, And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Uh, in the book of Acts, Acts four thirty three, we find a, an ethos in that early church of just the grace of God. It says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And then Chuck uses this this verse from Hebrews 13.9 in the chapter where he says, For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So uh, in terms of a, a biblical basis, what we're saying here, this distinctive isn't necessarily a theological distinctive per se. Right, we're not saying uh, we view the biblical doctrine of God's grace differently than everyone else in the church. Right. Uh, if if we had a weird slant on God's grace, we'd probably be heretics. Right, that would, wouldn't be good. Yes. So this is this is not theological as much it, it's more a ministry method. We, we want a gracious disposition towards sinners, yet biblical, and that is seen, as Chuck was bringing out, in the lives of our pastors and the people in our congregations. So it's, it's not that there's no uh, qualifications for this, because even in the same chapter, Chuck will say on page 54, we should always seek restoration, but let us not forget that repentance is necessary. Yeah, so maybe part of what we're saying, you just made the move, Mike, from grace to graciousness, and we were doing that a lot when we were talking about it before. And so maybe part of what we're saying is, we we think what Chuck was after and we, we agree is and should be a hallmark of Calvary Chapel is that we want to give attention to the way God's grace works itself out in our lives in this particular stream that comes out in graciousness, in, in love, mercy, forbearance. We want to give attention to that connection between my flavor that I give off to people and the fact that that the grace of God has saved me, yeah. something like that. And I think uh, even just now thinking about it, it's particularly important in this day and age because there's so many bad versions of what people would call being gracious out there. Yes. For Calvary to be a true biblical version of grace and truth, 
is really healthy and important in this day and age. You could be a, a welcoming church or a welcoming person that leads people to the kinds of things that actually work against God's grace right. and lead them, for instance, ensnared in sin or hopelessness or not able to be sure that Jesus is the Messiah because what if all roads lead to God? And that could feel like graciousness or kindness and mercy up front, but lead actually away from the grace of God yeah. that saves people. So in terms of application, we always move from a summary of what Chuck's main point was, what we believe the biblical basis there is for what Chuck's trying to say, and then into application. And Chuck's applications uh, are he uses his heart to restore pastors that have fallen in sin and not to divide over theological debates as examples of trying to be gracious to people. Two ways we could work out graciousness. Two ways that he he really wanted to do that. Again, for, for people... A pastor fallen into sin, for a lot of people to look at that, they would not want to be gracious toward that individual, however that would work out. Or, you know, for things like a theological slant, to have this slant, even if it's orthodox, and just make that the whole basis of relationship with somebody in the body of Christ, he saw both of those as ungracious in a in a true type of biblical way. But he's not saying we have to restore every fallen pastor or we have no solid stances on theological positions. Yeah, he, yeah. He's saying, and we kept, we, it was, this was a great chapter actually because I felt like as we discussed it, and hopefully this is true of any of you guys reading it, it made us keep working out the connection between the grace of God, the reality, and the kinds of examples Chuck was using, I think is helpful practically. And so how does my experience of the grace of God work itself out in the way I hold my theology and discuss it in the church? Yes. And how does my experience of the grace of God work its way out when I'm dealing with someone, either a non-believer who has a messed up life or a believer who's sinned, or even maybe a leader who's fallen into sin. And so this is this chapter is an opportunity, I think, to think through if I really have, and Chuck Majors on this, if I've really experienced this massive, free, gracious favor of God, and it's really changed me, it's going to come out in practical ways. And if the leadership and core of Calvary Chapel's is all being affected by grace that way, then that's going to flavor the church in a certain way, and it's going to feel like graciousness, forbearance. We talked about uh, giving people the benefit of the doubt. We're probably going to go there in a minute, but yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, for anybody who's... Chuck was very forward in his belief that uh, a, a pastor, who a leader who falls in sin could be restored. He wasn't trying to hide any of those things. And he attempted that, and a lot of times it failed, and he admitted that too. Um, but uh, you know, you can you can be gracious toward God's grace toward a pastor who sins or who disqualifies himself can still be worked out in other ways. So every every Calvary Chapel doesn't have to try to restore a fallen pastor. That's not the point of the chapter here. the The point of the chapter is. God is gracious to us by forgiving us, and even a fallen pastor can still repent and learn to serve him in other ways, even if they're not put back into the position or the office of a pastor. Yeah, to be received by the body of Christ graciously in love is 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 the baseline. That's what we were always looking for in church, hopefully in every church in the Calvary sure. Chapel Fellowship. Not necessarily the details of 
particulars of restoration, whereas Chuck might have personally seen the particulars of restoration as an application of this. Right. So, you know, Chuck uses another illustration where he talks about early in his ministry when he would get into somebody's life and it was a train wreck, he would show up there as a policeman trying to find out who did what, whose fault it was. And he said, I became more of the paramedic later where my main idea was, how do I just help this person who's dying or hurting? Um, which I think is a good theme um, and a, just way to kind of put out what his heart was in a particular situation. Again, you, we don't want to force people into contrasting roles because right. Jesus always did both. The Bible says Jesus was, as we read, full of grace and truth where he, just because Peter's faith failed walking on water, he didn't say, hey, Peter, nice knowing you, there's towels in heaven. <laughs> uh, he saved him, but then brought him on the boat and rebuked his little faith. So, you know, Jesus was always able to perfectly administer grace and truth in every situation, and the two aren't in, actually in conflict They're not with one two another. sides. They're not in conflict, no. Sure. So I, I think what we could say is, when I try to think of how we do this, um, I I had thought there's always scenarios where we come to things where we're not totally sure. I'm not totally sure whether this person is telling me the whole truth, not totally sure about their repentance. Maybe you're not even totally sure if this person's really saved or not. And it's not that you're refusing to take a stance on truth or something. It's just when you're unsure, what side are you going to err on? Are you going to err on the side of grace or are you going to err on the side of law, per se, or truth? But for us, we want to we want to try to err on the side of grace. If if we if we're not sure in those scenarios, well, where are we going to take the stand? Yeah, if it's a question of should we receive this person into our fellowship, should we welcome this person? There may be scenarios where God has given us enough knowledge to know. Like, no, actually, this person needs to be separate from them. Sure. But those are going to be much fewer in relation to the many scenarios where either it's obvious that we need to, to be faithful followers of Christ, or I don't know. It's So God has not allowed me to have all the information, like you're saying. It's a, it's a, it's a, it has to do with my finiteness. The grace of God, being an attribute of God, is fully informed by God's omniscience. So he's the grace of God itself is not unsure. It doesn't receive people because it lacks information, but we do. And so we're saying that we think God saved us by grace. It seems like biblically God would have us desire to extend welcome, desire to extend ministry, help, love to 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 everyone. Unless, for some reason, God's very clear there needs to be some kind of definition here for this person. Sure. So, uh, again, just in by example, particularly because of the world we live in, are we going to be gracious toward a homosexual or trans community or person coming into our fellowships? Well, of course, we, we shouldn't treat them negatively. We shouldn't call them names. We don't mock them. But that also doesn't mean that we shy away from correction or the truth or in the end church discipline if that has to happen so we still enact those things but what is our disposition even even in those moments of correction or rebuke or church discipline are we still being gracious because again the world's 
picture of this is there's only one type of actual graciousness. It's graciousness or law. Either you accept these things fully, you, you're tolerant of people's sin, you, you only have grace and not truth, or your law. Right. The world likes to talk as though it's the gracious, all-receiving one. I think you were just maybe just about to go there. But we know in our day and age, everyone, you know, cancel culture is all the rage. If you mess up and say one wrong thing online, where's the grace for you? You lose your job. You could lose. You could lose tons of things. like. So, so we're seeing the there is another side of the coin in the world, and it's that there's no graciousness if if you run afoul of what people think is is the important thing to say these days. You're going to be on the outs, and we're saying actually in the body of Christ, in the church of Christ, biblically, we actually think there should be all kinds of opportunity for people to err and then realize it and come back and be received as brothers and sisters. Like yeah. You're not going to get canceled in the church just because you, you messed up once. There's graciousness. There's the grace of God. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a place where we have to qualify some of these things just because of the world that we live in. But just overall point of, showing up as a person who wants to see God's best in a person's life, they're them healthy and living and not dying a wreck. And even at looking at some of the people's eyes who are the biggest wreck and realizing God is gracious towards them and loves them should be coming through our ministry as a Calvary Chapel. And I think it is still a distinctive of, of Calvary Chapel, or, or maybe I should just say a hallmark of Calvary Chapel yeah. that Usually, the church and the leadership is full of people who had really messed up lives yeah. in the past. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a badge of honor, I think, to yeah. be like, I don't know about other places. All I know is God's working in our fellowship, and we have a bunch of people who used to be addicted to drugs or whatever, uh, and here they are, and they love Jesus, and their lives are put back together. And maybe we could conduct ourselves in such a way that that kind of work would start to wither or dwindle if we weren't open to the work of God in that way. You know, I was thinking, Mike, when you were talking about sort of Jesus holding both together, there's that story where he's he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, like we all know he did, graciousness, yeah. sure. and he gets challenged on it, and his answer is, well, sick people need a physician. And I always just think it's so interesting that Jesus could sit with people and call them sick and say he was there because they had problems and they needed help. Yeah. And for some reason, that didn't insult them. Yeah. It didn't keep him away from them and it didn't like they loved him. Yeah. So here he was being utterly full of truth. These people are messed up. Yeah. But there he was eating with them and something about the way he did things, they loved it. Yeah. He went even further and said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to That's right. He Thank called you. them sick he sinners. Called them in the... sick sinners <laughs> as he's eating dinner with them. And maybe if you're over someone's house and you've been laughing and hanging out with them, you could say it, and they go, ah, you're right. Sure. I don't know, but that's, it was something like but that. But that's what being, you know, there's not that the world wants to contrast it to. They want, they want God's grace without God's truth. Yep. We want to be a, a example of both, where we're holding out the truth of God in the grace of God, um, and that that should be a distinctive because it is so skewed in our day and age. It doesn't use the word grace. I forget if I've mentioned it yet, but I, uh, to me, the verse that helps me is the, is the love hopes all things, hopes all things, believes all things. If I can err on the side of, I don't know, 
I hope this guy walks with Christ and I'm going to receive him like he's a, like he's a brother and I'm going to be excited when he shows up and when he hangs out with us, even though I, I don't know, it's yeah. a little, which way is he going to yeah. break? I don't know. But love is just going to hope and believe all things. And I think that's, that's a, another picture of the grace of God. And Titus. Oh, yes. So Titus teaching us the grace of God teaches us to deny all ungodliness and worldly lusts and worldly lusts. There's there's a place where we are instructed through the grace of God in a certain direction, which is what the world is pushing against. And that that verse is so profound to truly run into the huge loving heart of God, the open welcome of God changes me to start to hate sin. That's that's in, that's not all that verse says, but that's yeah. in there. Yes. Like, wow. So if that's coming out in our fellowships, people are going to repent of sin, not because we harshly judged them and told them to get out of it, but because the grace of God was coming out in our fellowship, they're going to run into God's grace and they're going to start hating sin because they love the graciousness of yeah. God. Big verse. Yeah, I guess the only thing I would throw out there as well is if anybody wants to, I would encourage you to read Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. It was a book he wrote. It might be his actually his most famous and well-known book. Um, I know it's a book we hand out here regularly to people, even people, Christians, who maybe are a little rough and legalistic with themselves or struggling through things. This was really a message on Chuck's heart and uh, to, to... dive into a little bit further have a little further insight on what he thought on the topic that would be a great book for you to pick up why grace changes everything by chuck smith yep so that's our uh that's our distinctive hope those things were clear certainly hopefully the lord through his holy spirit makes those things a reality in our lives individually and fellowships and uh, we will plug along in our next episode grace be with you see you guys